You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, friends. It's good to see you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm lead pastor here at Midtown Church and just love that you're here. Hope you feel uh, welcomed and helped in your uh, walk with Christ or exploration of who Jesus is. We're just so glad that you're here and then rest of the church family. So glad to be able to join you. Uh, we had the men's retreat last weekend, had a lot of fun there. Uh, it was a really great weekend, but we missed gathering all together as a church family. Just glad to be back together with you. So here, Here's what we're going to do uh, this morning. We're going to try to answer a big question. I think a question that we all hope there is an affirmative answer to, but often lack or most of us just live without, uh, (laughs) without knowing how to live this out and how to make this a reality for us. Perhaps some of us even just lose hope that it's even a possibility. Here's the big question for us this morning that we're going to wrestle with. It's it's, how can you be uh, consistently happy? How can you be consistently happy? Or this word maybe that sums this idea up is the word joy, right? A joy, a deep happiness, a sustaining happiness, an abiding happiness, something that remains. It's not just here here today, gone tomorrow, here this minute, gone the next minute. Like how can you have a a stable joy? I think that's something that we all want. I know know we all want to be happy. But even more than that, we, we all want to be happy and then remain happy. <laughs> that would be really great. But again, for us, we, we think, okay, is that, even, is that even possible? Like the remaining part? I don't know. Is that, is that just, a, just a, a, a stupid wish that's never going to come true? Well, um, especially in light of just the ups and downs of life, right? And I think about a time in my life that really captured just the roller coaster of emotions. It was uh, back in August of 2012. Uh, <laughs> it was when uh, Chris and I, our family, we moved into Central Austin. And uh, we moved here to start Midtown Church. And this was a dream come true for us. I mean, literally, a decade-long, even more than that, long dream to be able to, to partner with God and partner with friends to, to start a church. And specifically, to start a church in Central Austin, and specifically, because we also would mean we would get to live in Central Austin. <laughs> Central Austin's awesome. I've lived all over the city of Austin, but never in the middle of it. And I was like, man, that would be really great to be able to live in the middle of Austin. Central Austin would be so awesome. So, so many reasons. This was a dream come true for us when we moved into our house on Red River, just north of 45th Street. We were here, and it just what this house symbolized, the start of this new adventure, start of a dream come true, playing this church. Plus, this house, this house was better than what we expected to be able to get when we moved here because we didn't have a lot of money. Now, you guys know it's expensive to live in central Austin. And so we had looked at a bunch of different houses, and some of the houses we saw, like they just didn't even have um, uh, stable floors. Uh, they, there was tons of holes in the floors, and I tried talking Krista into getting one of those houses, and she wouldn't have it. And so when we came across this house, it was like even just made our, our dream come true scenario even better because this house was awesome. It was just felt like such a gift from God. So we're moving in, and I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I could be happier. I mean, dream come true. And then a week passed, and uh, the hot water heater went out. Which is, you know, it's August, so you can make do a little bit with cold water, but it's not great. 
Then the AC went out, which made the hot water heater thing not as big of a deal because now you really are hot. But, uh, and then we you know, call the landlords, they come and they, they send someone to fix it, but it doesn't last. Like, it's literally like they'll come and fix it. It's working for a few hours or maybe a day, and then it, both of those things would go out again. And so for a long period of time, like literally weeks, multiple weeks, we're, we're like no hot water, no AC, in August, and it's rough. Now, to complicate it, Krista is eight months pregnant with Della at this time. And so she, she's a champ. Like, she's taking it on the chin, but it's rough, right? And I'm feeling that for her. And so our dream comes, you know, our dream scenario is not feeling like really this kind of dream come true thing. It was feeling like just a, a week prior. And then on top of that, about two and a half weeks into this house, Krista walks into our bathroom and sees the longest tail of a rat just laying in this portion of our, 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 our you, know, you can't see the tub. It wasn't in the drain. It was another part of the tub that was, it was just sticking out of. And it was, it was dead and it was just in our tub, like in the inner lining of the tub, which is gross, right? For so many reasons. So now like our dream scenario is really a nightmare scenario because these just dead rats. And then on top of that, there was another rat that died in our wall. We didn't have any way to get to it. So we didn't call pest control to come and get it. But it, you know, remind you, it's like 90 degrees in our house. There's no AC. So it's just baking. It's like an oven. It's just baking. I think this is why the rats were dying. I mean, they're just overheating, you know. It's like, well, that's what you get. Don't come to my house. I didn't invite you. But <laughs> they, it's just reeks. I mean, reeks, reeks. Like it smells like dead rat. And I don't know if you've ever smelled dead rat, but it's not pleasant. And so, like, it's so bad that we're about a month into living in this house, we move out. We move to Round Rock to move in with my grandparents just to get out for a couple days. Try to get that smell out. Try to air it out. And we're driving to Round Rock to spend the weekend at my grandparents so we could get out of this house. And I'm thinking, man, this quickly became a nightmare. It's just a while. I mean, just the up and down roller coaster of dream come true, big nightmare. Because isn't that life? I mean, that's a, that's a kind of extreme or, or funny example of that. There's more extreme examples of that, right? I mean, we could go to some really heavy things to talk about one of the ups and downs of life. Isn't that what life is like? You know, you're happy, you're mad. You're, you're elated, you're depressed. I mean, it's just over and over and over again. And so in the midst of that, just the changing, ever-changing circumstances of life, this idea of is there a way to be consistently happy? Is there a way to actually have stable joy in your life? We would say, I just don't know if that's even possible. Man, I understand why we feel that way. But then I read Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 26, and it messes with me. I mean, it really messes with me. And this morning, I hope that it will mess with you, all right? Because in this, this, this passage, it, it looks like stable joy is actually a real thing. Like it's actually possible. And we'll see where it's actually found and why it's found there. That's where we're going to go this morning. So if you will, open up to Philippians chapter 1. 12 through 26, go there on your Bible. We'll also have the words up here on the screen so you can follow along that way. But um, we're, you know, we're just continuing this series in the book of Philippians. I'm really excited about it and really excited about what God will show us this morning. So as you turn there, let me, uh, let me just uh, begin with this question. What does stable joy 
look like, okay? Like, does this really exist? Now, before I get into the passage, let me give you, you know, one, more, uh, uh, one, one more words for uh, context sake. The, pa- the part of the letter that we're looking at, and Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And so the part of the letter that we're looking at, it follows the structure of letters that were, the way that letters were normally written in that day and age. So they, there would be an introductional statement like, here's who we are, the authors of the letter. And then they would say something about their, their Afri- you know, affirm their, their feelings for their audience which Paul does, and we looked at that two weeks ago. It's like, man, every time I think about you, I just fill with joy on, on account of you and your partnership in the gospel. And then he talks about how he's been praying for them, that they would be abounding in love and, and, and in depth of, of knowledge and discernment into how God's loved them, that they would continue to love God and love each other and love those that don't know Jesus yet. So he says, like, this, I mean, I'm just full of joy for you. I'm praying for you. And then the follow the normal format, he would, the letters would then shift gears and start giving the, the audience the recipients of the letter, some information about how the author is doing. And I'll tell you, in the church of Philippi, they would have been dying to hear this part of the letter because they really loved Paul and they wanted to know how he was doing. In fact, if you might remember, I said two weeks ago, the whole reason that we have this letter is because the church in Philippi sent Paul a care package when he was in prison in Rome. And they sent one of their own, Epaphroditus, to take this to Paul, to care for Paul, to bring this care package to Paul, because he, again, is in jail. And then Paul, in response to that, writes a thank you letter, in a sense. He writes this letter in response and sends that back with Epaphroditus. And so when this letter shows up to the church of Philippi, they're dying to know, how is Paul? What's he going to tell us about how he's doing? And so in verse 12, he makes that transition, and here's what he says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has, what has happened to me has. And stop there. Don't read forward. Don't, don't keep reading. And like at this, this point, they would have just leaned in, right? Because they want to know, like, you know, what, what, that what has happened to me has what? Has, has left you really discouraged, Paul? has been extremely hard, has caused you to fall into a a deep depression. See, I don't know how much the church in Philippi knew, but they knew enough. They knew that he was in prison. But here's what what has happened to Paul. Like if he was to finish and just say, let me tell you all that has happened to me. Here's what he would tell us. It's actually recorded for us by Luke in Acts chapters 21 all the way to 28. So you go read it sometime. It's fascinating. Here's what happened. Paul had been in Jerusalem preaching the gospel and the Jewish authorities had incited a riot against Paul. And so the Roman authorities arrested Paul. And then the, the Jewish religious authorities plotted to assassinate Paul. So the Roman authorities heard about that, and so they shipped Paul, they took Paul down to Caesarea, another city. And there he stayed for two years, arrested, two years. And he had chances to come before governors and other Roman authorities and and, and preach the gospel. You can read about that again in Acts. But for most of the time, he just sat there waiting to be shipped to Rome. And like literally shipped, like by a ship. And so finally, after two years, he's on a ship going to Rome. And that ship sinks, shipwreck. And he's like drifting. And then he's on an island. And it's like a wild scene. And then finally, he ends up in Rome. And when he gets to Rome, he's there for two more years under house arrest, 
chained 24-7 to a Roman guard that shifted every four hours. So he's always, that's how they did things. So he's always, always chained to a Roman guard in jail, waiting, hear this, to find out if he's going to be executed or not. So he could have said, here, let me tell you what has happened to me has really messed me up. But this is what he says instead. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. But then he adds, okay, it's not all, it's not all roses. Like here, Here's this. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But, (laughs) I love this, but what does it matter? But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, (laughs) this gets me, man. Because of this, I rejoice. Because of this, he says, I rejoice. I actually have it in big letters. It was going to come up just then. But there, boom, there it is. <laughs> I rejoice. And I read that and I think, what? I mean, do you feel this? Like, you, like does that not, is that not weird? Is that, is that not surprising when you read that? And because of this, I rejoice. Like, because of this, I am actually so full of joy, it spills out into rejoicing. I mean, that's what rejoice is. It's the verb form of joy. It's like, wait, what? Paul, like, you're in prison. You're in a Roman jail cell. And like, that's, that's bad. That's not a good thing. And, and guys, let's, don't get me, like, like, jail's bad. Like, jail's not a good thing ever. But like, let's not even confuse it with American jail. Like, in American jail, at least, at least you have the promise of three meals a day and perhaps cable TV. I've never been there, but I've heard that. Um, <laughs> I've almost been a couple of times, but I haven't. And those, that's another story. But, um, but in Roman jail, I mean, you, got, like, you have no promise of any of that. Like, it's far from comfortable. Far from comfortable. It's not good. In addition, Paul's life work was to plant churches. After coming to Christ, his life ambition was to, to plant churches, see churches started and see so the gospel would go out. And now he's stuck. He's been stuck for two years in Caesarea and now two years in Rome. Like, can you imagine how depressing that would be? And then on top of that, what he shares, what he shares here is that, like, the people that you would expect that would encourage him in the midst of this difficulty of being, you know, being in prison, some of them are actually working to discourage him. And man, I'll tell you, like I, difficult circumstances is one thing, but when the people in my life that should be an encouragement to me while I'm going through difficult circumstances seem to turn against me, and they make things worse for me, 
it is hard. It is hard to deal with that. And what's interesting here in these verses is that you don't fully understand what's going on. Because I mean, he says, okay, there's some brothers and sisters, like, they're actually preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition to stir up trouble for me. And people have read that for you know, years and years and years and thought, well, Paul, I wonder what Paul was talking about. And honestly, we just don't know exactly that looked like. I've read tons of theories, and I could give you some, but I'm not. I'm not right now. I don't have time for it. But it, regardless, we know that something was being done by brothers and sisters in Christ, people who should encourage him, were actually working to like, hurt him. He was taking on friendly fire. Again, that would not cause me to say, and I rejoice. And then on top of all of that, again, just put yourself in this guy's shoes. On top of all that, he's facing execution, right? And for two years, he's been in this Roman jail facing execution. And what's really interesting is that the verdict that he was waiting to get would have been one of two things. It would have been either, okay, Paul, you know what? You're free to go. You're found not guilty. Or you're going to die. You've been found guilty. And there was no in-between. It was, I mean, it was just, he's going to die or he's going to be set free. So he's either on death row or he's about to be paroled. And he doesn't know, and he's living that way for two years. Can you imagine that hanging over your head? I was thinking about that this week and just thinking, man, I don't know. Like, how could he function? Many of you all know my dad, uh, my dad's cancer returned this last year. And, uh, you know, super sad. And it came back, it, it attached to a tumor, attached to his lower intestine, and then, and then had spread to his spleen. And he had surgery, removed, that, the, you know, removed his spleen, removed the tumor, uh, and then he started chemo. And he's been on ke- doing chemo for the last four months, every two weeks, and he's got a couple more months of that left. But in January, he had his first scan to see if there was any uh, cancer cells still in his body or it had, if it had spread or anything like that. So he gets this scan. And then you wait for like three days, you're waiting. <laughs> and man, it just feels like you're just holding your breath, right? I mean, for three days, you're holding your breath, just thinking, what's gonna happen? Like, is this cancer bag? What's it gonna be? You know, it's hard to think about anything else. I mean, it's all consuming. And that's for me, his son. I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like for my dad. <laughs> now, Good news. Praise God. The scan came back clear. So it's really awesome. He's still doing chemo, but like this is extremely encouraging. So that, you know, just didn't want to leave you hanging on that news. That's really good. But then I think about Paul, and guys, like for two years, he's got this hanging over his head. Any minute now, I could find out. This is it. I'm dead. And, and in light of all of that, in jail taking friendly fire, perhaps going to be executed, he says, and I rejoice. Because that's what stable joy looks like. That's a joy that is not attached to your circumstances. That's a joy that many of us wonder, is that, like, <laughs> is that real? But you look at Paul's life, you see what he says here, and you think, okay, he had this. Like, this exists. It's possible. And I don't know about you, but I, I want that. My, my assumption is you want that. So let's go to the next part, because we're just trying to answer this question. Where is this kind of stable joy found? Where is stable joy found? 
Well, he, he begins to tell us in the next part of this, this passage. Verse 18, he says this. Second half of verse 18, he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Which, again, is a wild statement. Like, I rejoice and I will continue. So if you want to know, friends, how I'm doing, I'm rejoicing. And if you want to know how I will be doing, let me tell you, I will continue to be rejoicing. I will continue to rejoice. And then he says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Which, if you read that... It sounds like he's expecting to be delivered from jail. Like maybe he knows that he's about to get out. And then maybe that could make his joy make more sense to us. Because, oh, well, of course he has joy because he's about to get out of jail. He thinks he's going to be delivered. And so, yeah, his circumstances are about to change. That makes him feel better. That's the kind of joy, happiness that I'm used to. But the problem is, is that that's not actually what he's referring to when he speaks of his deliverance. You have to ask this question, deliverance from what? And then he tells us. In the very next verse, when he says in verse 20, And I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So see, he still knows that he could possibly die. Like it's still, you know, that he's not just like, I'm so sure of deliverance from jail that there's no way this happens. He knows that's still a possibility because he knows that the thing that he's sure of, the deliverance he's sure of, is not deliverance from jail. The deliverance that he's sure of is the deliverance that he says here in this verse. That he will not be ashamed is what he is going to be delivered from. The shame, and specifically the shame of having dishonored the name of Jesus. That he knows by the prayers of the Philippians and how God worked through their prayers and the spirit of Jesus in his life that he would be able to remain courageous even when he comes before the Roman authorities waiting for his verdict of whether he's guilty or not, he's going to stand for Jesus. He will not shrink back. He will not be ashamed. He's going to stay courageous and exalt the name of Jesus, whether in life or death. That's what he's sure of. And the guys, the reason why that is such a big deal to Paul is because of what he says in the very next verse when he says this famous words, For to me to live is Christ. For to me to live is Christ. Like for me, my whole life is just wrapped up in Jesus. For to me, the thing that I want to make sure I do, whether I live or die, is exalt Jesus. And friends, one reason why that is his number one concern is because Paul had attached his life and therefore his joy fully to Jesus. See, when he says, for me to live is Christ, the word live there isn't just meaning to stay alive. It's it's this idea, for me to really live, for me to truly live, is Christ. See, Paul is so concerned about bringing honor to Jesus because he has wrapped his life around Jesus and he's attached his joy to Jesus. And guys, that's the reason why he had have stable joy. Because no one can take Jesus away from him. 
Not in life, not in death. And so his joy can remain stable. Now, like, let me contrast this. Let's think about this. I need you to think about this deeply. If Paul had said, for me to live is comfort, which, I mean, for so much of us, our joy is attached to, com- being, you know, to our comfort. I mean, let's be honest. But if that was what to live, the true life, the good life for Paul was comfort, there's no way he has joy. There's no way he says, and I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. Or if he says, no, no, for me to live is to know that I will be okay, that I'll be secure, that I'll be safe. There's no way he's feeling full of joy. If he says, if for, for to me is to be, to live is to be with my friends, or to know that I'm loved by my brothers and sisters in the faith, or for me to be able to be successful in my life work, which was planting churches, in none of those cases would he be able to say, I, I rejoice, because he's been removed from his friends, he's got taken on friendly fire from other believers, and he's stuck in prison, he can't plant churches. But yet, guys, how often are those the things that we attach our joy to? Our comfort, security, control, Friends, loved ones, being treated right, being successful in our dreamed careers. There's no way Paul is able to have joy if he had attached his joy if, to any of those things. It's like a boat. Like, I've been trying to think, like, what's a good illustration of this? And this, is, this, this falls short, right? But, and, and I'm not a boater, so I'm going to probably get this all wrong. But, um, Got this picture of this boat, and, and you see like storm rolling in. You see that there's an, it's, it's anchored, right? See the chain? So I'm guessing there's an anchor down there. Um, <laughs> go with me because it's really key for my illustration. Um, if you're a boat and there's a storm coming, it matters what you anchor yourself to. If you anchor yourself to something unstable, and the boat and the storm comes, it will, at, it will at least knock you off course. And it can potentially cause you to capsize, shipwreck, right? So you would want to make sure that you anchor to something very, very stable. That's common sense, right? Well, friends, <laughs> that is common sense. In boating, why isn't that common sense in life? I mean, how foolish is it that we so often attach, anchor our joy to things that we know are unstable. That we attach our joy to things like being comfortable or being secure or feeling like we're in control or how people are treating us or the love of somebody that you cherish. It's like, man, it feels good when they love you. Like, you're going to build your whole life around them, but they aren't going to love you perfectly. They will not. And they will either be the reason for your storm or they're not going to be stable enough for you to survive the other kinds of storms that enter your life. You attach it to your grades. You attach your joy to your success and work. Your job can come and go. Why would you attach? Why would I attach? Why do we attach? Why do we anchor our joy to unstable things? No wonder we do not know stable joy. No wonder we do not experience being consistently happy. Because what we're anchored to shifts. And we end up getting thrown off course. Or we capsize. But Paul, 
He anchored himself to Jesus. And friends, this is where stable joy is found. It's found in the person of Jesus. And let me use the last remaining minutes I hear, have here to try, to try to just skim the very, to skim the surface of why stable joy is found in Jesus. Now, let me be, before I get there, let me say two things, or maybe just one thing. <laughs> um, the joy, friends, that's found in Jesus is a thinking person's joy. That so often what we are drawn to are things that bring us joy experientially in the moment. You get something new. You feel excited about this thing. You meet someone new. You feel excited. You get the new job or you get the promotion of the job. And all those things, they can make you happy for a moment, and they're good. Those things can aid in your joy, but do not anchor your joy to them. Because here's the thing. If you're a thinking person and you examine the joy that you have in anything else other than Jesus, what you will come to realize, and, and really relatively easily, is that the more you think about the wisdom of anchoring your joy to that thing or that person or that circumstance, you'll see it's unstable. It's going to let you down. The new iPhone you got is going to get old. The new house that you want is going to feel old. You might not have dead rats in it, but it's, there's something in it that's not going to completely stabilize your joy. That person is going to let you down. That job is, you're not going to love every aspect of it. The more you think about that thing, the more you'll see the joy that's found in it is a diminishing joy, an unstable joy. But on the other hand, the more you consider the joy that is found in Jesus, the more you mine the joy that's found in Jesus, the more you will realize the depth and the richness and the stability of that joy. It's a thinking joy. And sometimes when a thinking joy with that, you've got to do the work of thinking. You've got to, do, you've got to, you've got to meditate on it. You've got to reason. You've got to call yourself back to remember. You've got to go back there. But as you do, your joy, your joy will increase. Because, guys, the stable joy that we all look for is found in Jesus. And, guys, it's found in Jesus alone. Let me give you three reasons. I'm going to need to bullet point them. The first reason why from this passage is because uh, Jesus is where eternal life is found. Jesus is where eternal life is found. That Jesus alone provides eternal life is how I put it on the notes. And when we hear eternal life, we usually think quantity of life right? We think okay, it's a life that will go on and on and forever, and that's a good thing. But when Jesus speaks of eternal life, when Scripture speaks of eternal life, it, it means much more than that. that it, it, specifically, it's more than just quantity. It's also quality of life. That it's, another word for it, is abundant life. That when Jesus gives us a definition of eternal life, when he's praying in John 17, verse 3, he prays this to the Father. He says, now this is eternal life. What's eternal life? It's this, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That eternal life is knowing God. It's knowing Jesus. He's eternal life. Both providing quantity because he's the source of life. He's the sustainer of life and quality because he is life. And like just to give you, like try to make this less abstract for you, what is one of the big desires of all of our hearts? 
Is it not to be known and loved? To paraphrase Tim Keller, pastor in New York, he says, he says this, our, our, our greatest fear is to be known but not loved. To be known and then rejected. And so sometimes we settle to be loved with, without being known. But that doesn't satisfy. But to be fully known and fully loved is the, is the life we all long for. Well, friends, no one knows you more fully than God. And no one loves you more powerfully and completely than God. See, this is where life is found. To know him is to have eternal life. And it's stable. It won't go away. Nothing can remove you from him. He's, he's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's what that means. That even if you die, you're not taken from him. Any other joy, as good as it could be in this life, eventually death will separate you from it. But not Jesus. If Jesus is who you've anchored yourself to, if for you to live is Christ, then even when you die, it's gain, which is actually how Paul finishes that verse. For me, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That word gain is a, is a financial word. It means profit. It means things get better. <laughs> and later on, he'll say, actually, I want to be with Christ, which is better by far. Because this is eternal life. He is the one He's the only one that can provide that kind of stability. Second reason why Jesus is where stable joy is found is because uh, Jesus can make good come from bad. That Jesus can make good come from bad. So even in the most difficult of your circumstances, when the storms of life come and things are really bad, Bible teaches us, shows us that we call those things and God calls those things bad. They're evil. They're, the, the things in our life, are, they can be horrific and tragic and unjust and all these. And like those things are the, like that's what those are. And yet, God has a power to work in the midst of them to redeem it. To bring good out from the bad. Because nothing else that you attach your joy to has any, any promise of ever being able to do that for you. The best thing you can hope for is that, that maybe things will get better over time. But Jesus can actually work in the midst of the, of the bad and bring good. I don't have time to go into it, but this passage is full of examples of that. I'm in jail, yet the gospel is advancing. In the Roman guard, by believers being encouraged in their faith to share the gospel more, 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 more boldly. Even if I die, it's like worst case scenario is actually not worst case scenario. That could be really good. That's to my gain because I get to be with Jesus. In every single situation, the bad is, is that he cites, he also sees the good that Jesus is bringing out of it. Guys, does that not provide a stable joy? That in the midst of the storm, you walk into it and you think, this is terrible. And it is. And yet, you can have an expectant hope because Jesus can redeem. And you can think, as bad as this is, God, who my joy is anchored to, my Savior Jesus, 
I wonder what he's going to do with this. I wonder what good is going to come from this. That stable joy, friends, and nothing and no one else can offer that to you. The last, last reason stable joy is found in Jesus is this, is because significant life purpose is found in Jesus. And again, you see this all in the scripture. That even when he's in jail, and it's like, man, you're like, talk about dead-end job. <laughs> you're in jail. Talk about terrible circumstances. Paul's still able to, to experience and partner in the most significant, eternally significant work there is. What we talked about two, two weeks ago. He gets to partner with God in the work of the gospel to see people respond to Jesus. That he's still getting to do that because when you partner with Jesus... When Jesus is who you anchor yourself to, he invites you into partnering with him in your life purpose. The reason, when you know why you were made and you get to, you get to actually live that out, there's joy in that. And I could talk about that on and on, but I won't. All this to say, let this at least just wet your whistle. Just wet your, I don't, that's probably not the phrase I should say. I don't even know what that means. Um, let that... Wet your appetite. That's what I'm trying to say. I was going to say wet your whistle. That's completely not like I don't even know what that means. Let that wet your appetite. Let it wet your appetite. To explore, to think, to meditate on the joy that's found in Jesus. I tell you, it's stable. It's rich. It's deep. And it is unlike anything else that anything else in life has to offer. Here's your application. Here's what, like, what do I do with all this? First, I want you to think. How do you fill in the blank? For to me, to live is, you've got something. If you don't know what it is, ask someone that's super close to you. They'll say, well, I, I don't know for sure, but I know you get really excited when this is happening. What is it? For me, to live is, and guys, notice, if it's anything but Jesus, call it out for what it is. It is unstable, and it doesn't deserve for you to attach your life and your joy to it. And then the second thing I want you to do, I encourage you to do, <laughs> to use biblical language, is repent. Literally change your mind about that and say, no, this thing that I've attached my joy to, it's not worth it. And instead, I'm going to attach my joy to Jesus. Evaluate that this week. Because here's the truth. I want you to have stable joy, but more importantly, God does. You were made for this joy, the joy that's found in him. You were created for him, to know him and to make him known. Like, this is what he wants for you. And it's available to you because of what we're about to celebrate here in taking communion. That Jesus made this joy, the joy found in him, available to every single one of us when he died in our place for our sins. And he dealt with the sin that separates us from the one who brings us joy. He died. He took our sin upon him so that we could be redeemed and we could be reconciled to God, the source of joy. And that he has made that possible all by what he has done. And we don't have to do anything except just believe that he did that for us. That because his body was broken, as we remember with the bread, because his blood was spilled, as we remember with the cup, he's made the way for us to be reconciled to him and know the joy we long for, the joy found in him. 
And so as we take communion, which we're all invited to do, there's places up here and in the back. We'll do it during this next set of songs. When you take communion, rejoice. Rejoice in Christ. And may it begin to overflow in you and become the pattern of your life so you can have stable joy. If you place your faith in Christ, the communion table is open for you. If you never have, I'd ask that you would use this time just to consider this. And perhaps even now, place your faith in Christ so you can have this joy. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.